This month we are exploring uh, the king is here. And we've used Matthew chapter 1 and 2, well, we'll get to chapter 2 this morning as our text. We have seen that Jesus qualifies to be the Messiah because we looked at that long list of a bunch of dead people and said all of those people mean Jesus was in the correct line. He had the right heritage. Uh, all of these generations fit to the fact that Jesus was related to, to David and then back to Abraham. And so then we looked at, at what Matthew said about, about the birth of Christ, and what he really wanted to say was, you might think there was a scandal, but there was not really a scandal because this all happened to fulfill the prophet, which a virgin was with child. And as a result, we know the truth that God is now with us. The God who put up all kinds of boundaries and barriers in the Old Testament is now saying, yeah, I'm with you. And God is with us. When the Shekinah glory left in Ezekiel, and it talks about that, is back. The glory of God is now with us. And so this morning we come to Matthew chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, open there. The birth is past. I hope you had a very Merry Christmas. We're much beyond that now when you get to Luke chapter 2. But we're going to pick up the story there. Let's read the text. We're going to look at the first 12 verses. Matthew 2, verse 1. After Jesus, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But, to you, but you, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found, that, found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. First observation, this story really has nothing to do with Christmas. Nothing. How do we know? Well, I mean, there's no angels, there's no shepherds, there's no inn, all that stuff. But in verse 11, it said Jesus and his parents are now living in a house. The stable's gone, the, the, all of that scene, is, has, they've moved on from that. Verse 16 says, when Herod figures out the Magi um, had snuck out of town, he killed all the babies ages two and under. So you got this gap of, you know, if it was just like birth, Magi show up, and then Herod finds out, he just, just killed the infants. But they went up to two years old, so it could be up, Jesus could be up to two years old at this point. So it's been a while since his birth. And so as you read that text and try to understand it, what you have to understand is we are the strangers in this text. I think in the first century, they kind of understood everything that was going on here. We are the ones who are new to all of this. 
they would have been much more in tune with what was going on. So this morning, we're just going to ask two questions. Number one, who are the Magi? And number two, why are they even in this story? What are they doing here? So question one, who are they? Chapter 2, verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, there are some things we do not know about these Magi. You'd think there were three. We don't really know how many there were. It doesn't say. We're, we, we're going to ruin a bunch of Christmas carols this morning. So just beware of that. Still sing them and whatever. But, you know, the Bible doesn't say how many Magi came. We have concluded three because what? There's three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There could have been six or seven. There could have been 30 magi. We three kings of Orient are not exactly accurate. We know there was more than one. We know they were not kings. They, they, they know their names, though, because somebody, bishop in the 12th century, found three skulls, and they were the names of them. So that's how we think there's three, and we know their names. But none of that's in the Bible. Now, there are some things we do know about them. They were from the east. So where's the star? It's in the west. Okay? We three can't... We just kind of sang it, right? Noel, they, from the whatever. The first Noel says, they looked up and saw a star shining in the east beyond them far. Uh, no, the, the star, they, if they were in the east, they would have gone to China, all right? So they came to the west. And where are they from? Not exactly sure. Some would say Babylon. Some will say somewhere in Persia somewhere. And so when you picture these guys, whatever their names are, however many there are, don't just picture a bunch of stargazers who are in their... their hick tent camping out, and they see the star, and they say, oh, let's go. That's not what's going on here at all. These are very wise, studied men. They have great reputations. Some historians trace them clear back to a group of, of wise men from Egypt. And so it's kind of this society that's, that's kind of grown up and, and lasted throughout the years. They were brilliant. They're highly educated. They knew medicine. They knew history. They knew philosophy. They knew astronomy. And they were trained in what we would call today as astrology because they could kind of tell the future by looking at the stars. And so these ancients, they looked at the stars, they watched the skies, and they kind of answered, why are we here? Where are we going? What's life all about? And so they were experts in astronomy and astrology. And these aren't three guys with cone heads walking through the desert by themselves coming to Jerusalem. There's no way they traveled a thousand miles across the desert by themselves. The whole notion of that is, is a little crazy. They, they have an entourage. They probably had security. They had people to take up and down the tents. You know, they, they, you travel with pomp and circumstances. And so they arrive in Jerusalem with about a thousand miles of dust, but it's quite the entourage. Maybe upwards of 300 people arrive in Jerusalem. And the text says, man, Jerusalem was all amazed. It's It's disturbed. So that's who they are. But why? Why does Matthew include them in his gospel? It's the only place they are. That's a more difficult question to answer, but it's also much more enlightening. Matthew is weaving a story. He is setting the stage for the story of Jesus, and nothing he includes is random. He introduces some themes even early on 
that we're going to, we're, we're familiar with them because we've looked later on in the book of Matthew. So this morning, I just want to mention two themes that I think are why they're there, and then we'll look at an application from Matthew. I'm not sure if the stars or dreams have ever prompted you to take a thousand-mile trip. These magi, they don't know very much about Jesus. They didn't know his name, but what they had studied spurred them to action. And when they go to Jerusalem, they assume what? I'm going to go to the capital. A king is born. Somebody there has got to know about this king, and we're going to celebrate him together. But they were in a rather big surprise when they got there, and nobody had a clue. They go to the king. I I don't know. He gets his religious leaders. I don't know. And so these three dudes, they arrive to worship a toddler because of a star and some prophecy. And so Herod calls his wise people together. Verse 4, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. We know about them, don't we? Here's their first mention in the Gospel of Matthew. The chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Bethlehem, they say. How far is Bethlehem from Jerusalem? Six miles. Easy road. You know, today it's almost a suburb of Jerusalem. But the chief priests and the teachers of the law, how do they react to the news? They're rather indifferent. They quote the scriptures. One would think they would be dancing up and down. Messiah is here. Let's go see him. No, not really. They don't care. And then don't miss this. The Old Testament condemns astrology, right? We don't like astrology because of what the Old Testament says about it. And so if those who are theologically wrong, they're into astrology, and they're pagan, they are Gentiles, could get it and understand what was going on with the birth of Jesus What does that say about those who should have known? What's the matter with the Jewish religious leadership? They knew the Old Testament in their native tongue. The wise men probably had to learn Hebrew to understand. And they knew Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. It's only six miles away, and they wouldn't go check it out. Matthew, you see, is setting the stage. you got the religious leaders on one side and the magi on the other side. And you know this theme well from the Gospel of Matthew. It's introduced here. The blind can see. And those who should be able to see are blind. Why does Matthew include the Magi? Number one, to show the blind can see, but the elites cannot. And the Magi asked in Matthew 2.2, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? They knew it. We saw his star when it rose, and, and we've come to worship him. They make this long, dangerous journey to see a baby born king of the Jews. They knew he was born. They don't know where. So tell us where, and we'll go see him. He's got to be this new king, but they don't know his name. They come to the capital, and they're clueless there. But what's with this star? Speculation is all over the map. We do know this. It comes and it goes. We know it moves. So it doesn't sound like any alignment of the planets to me. Those aren't quite that movable. Now, I have no need to explain something naturally, which I would interpret as a supernatural event. I'm leaning toward the idea that 
you remember what we talked about last Sunday. Ezekiel talks about the Shekinah glory of Israel departing from the temple. And then when Jesus shows up, what comes back? Light. A star. I don't know. Is this the glory returning after all these centuries? I don't know. But the point is that those who should have seen it could no longer see it. The Magi, they're pagans who've been drawn to Jesus. The blind get it. But those who should have seen do not. Which leads me to the second reason why the Magi show up in Matthew's gospel. That is this, number two, to show that Jesus would be a blessing to all the nations of the world. From the opening pages of the gospel of Matthew, Matthew wants to say, you know, this is a lot bigger what's going on here than just what's happening to Israel. Remember the clues we've seen. There are Gentile women in the genealogy, pagan women in there. There's these pagan astrologers who arrive from the east. And you are asked to believe that when Jesus arrives, he comes to bless not just Israel, but he has come to bless the world. He's got pagan women in his bloodline. And the greatest faith we've seen maybe in all of the, of the Gospel of Matthew is by whom? It's the Magi. They fall and they worship, the text says. You see, Jesus has come with a message for the world. The Magi are pagans who have been drawn to that message and to that person. And this story is about a baby king and what he wants to do for the whole world. Who worships him first? The Gentiles. How does Matthew end his gospel? You know this. Jesus came to them and said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Go to the people of all nations and make them my disciples. As the story of Jesus begins, the nations come to him. As the story of Jesus ends, his followers go to the nations. Those two themes are introduced by Matthew with the presence of the Magi. And they introduce to us a tension that Matthew wants us as readers to follow. Because in that we discover, I think, the application to our lives. Matthew, we've said he's the Han Solo of the New Testament. I don't know about Matthew. He's a tax collector. He's kind of a, uh, I don't know, kind of guy. What's he going to get it? Is he not going to get it? But apparently he's obviously come to faith. And so he wants us into that journey of how he came from being so self-centered that he dissed his own nation to make money to now he gives it all up to follow, the G follow Jesus. And I think number three, Matthew wants to introduce the tension over my decision. Who am I going to follow? Who am I really going to follow? Because if you're a first century reader, at this point you're a little bit confused. Because you know, you know who Herod is, okay? And Herod hates Jesus. Therefore, maybe I should like Jesus. And the religious leaders, they ignore Jesus, so maybe I'm supposed to ignore I mean, they're my, they're my rabbis. So if I side with my religious establishment, am I agreeing with Herod? Neither one of them like him. 
Matthew is forcing us to think through the issues. Who am I going to follow? It plays out in the last verse of the text. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. You see, Herod understood the threat posed by this newborn king. Jesus is born king of the Jews. The Magi know it. Herod, he was not born king of the Jews. He kind of wheeled and dealed his way so that he could become king of the Jews. And technically, he's not really Jewish. So if this baby is truly the coming king, he's got to do something about that. Because if he doesn't, his line is in trouble. Jesus was a threat to Herod's life and to the longevity of his rule as it went down through his sons. And I think Matthew is telling us, you know, you better think about it as well. Is Jesus a threat to our lives? Is Jesus a threat to the comfortable life you want to live? The answer is yes. We try everything we can to find meaning and purpose in life. We build things and we influence things. We cling to life like Herod and the religious leadership. If we really follow this Jesus as Messiah, he's actually going to interrupt our lives too. Because if you're Matthew, you have to wonder, is it better to stay collecting money and making a great living as a tax collector, or do I give it all up and follow Jesus? That's a big interruption in my life. Because this Jesus is going to change everything. And Jesus hasn't yet said a word in the gospel, but the challenge is clear. Who earns your loyalty? Matthew scrambles it all up and says, you've got to rethink this because you are, believe, you, you are asked to believe that no matter how it looks, the Magi, they're getting it right. These pagan Gentile astrologers, they get it. My local priest, he, he's getting it wrong. And he knows the Torah. And Herod, the one with all the power and the glory who's built this grand temple for us, he is the one with all the success and wealth and fame in the world. And I've got to believe these pagan magi over the rabbi and over what I see, Herod, and he's what he's built. He's setting the stage. Will you believe? Will you follow him? Will you be more loyal to him than you are to your government? Will you be more loyal to him than you are to politics? Will you be more loyal to him than wealth or fame? Where are you going to put your faith? Everybody had the same basic information. Herod knew, and he tried to kill him. The scribes knew, and they just ignored him. And the wise men knew, and they worshipped him. And so in Matthew 2, the stage is set. Who will you follow? And for the reader, it's a very personal question. And for us, Jesus is going to stand at the road, at the end of the road of all of our lives. And in the end, there will be no middle ground. You can, you can ignore him like the religious leaders did. But you're going to end up facing him someday. You can hate him like Herod did. But perhaps hatred is more noble than a casual disinterest. Because when you hate something, at least you pay attention to it. And Jesus demands your attention. To ignore him altogether means to live as if it doesn't matter at all. But no one can ignore him forever. 
We all have an appointment with him sooner or later. What are you going to do with Jesus? That's the challenge in Matthew. Some will hate him. Some will ignore him. Some will seek him. But how will you respond? That's the only thing that matters. You with Herod, you with the scribes, you with the Magi. You hostile to him, you're too busy to get involved, or are you coming to worship him as Savior and Lord? I think those are the themes that he's beginning to weave in his gospel. And that's what he wants us to see as these wise men come to see the Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning that we have in Matthew this the story of the wise men, the magi who've come from the east, that they prompt us to think about our loyalties. They prompt us to examine what we believe and if we're willing to follow you to the point where you can interrupt our lives. The challenge to us now is to go to the world with the wonderful news that the King is here. As that has changed our lives this month, may it now motivate us to take that message to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.